Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Health Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Smith. No matter what goal you're working towards, I hope to show you that chasing health does not have to be a difficult or scary ordeal. Join me and my guests as we talk about all things related to becoming a best version of yourself, whether that's through nutrition, fitness, mindset, or life topics in general, we've got you covered. All right, let's not waste any more time and dive right into the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Health Podcast. I have with me today, Amanda Cooper. I'm really glad to have her on the show. Her and I have met through um, pretty big, you know, the same community. I've had a lot of other guests on through the um, BCI, NCI, uh, Business Coaching and Nutritional Coaching Institute, and just a lot of great people in there. So that's why I've been getting bringing a lot of those guests into, onto the show. And she's got a pretty unique perspective on a lot of things. And I was actually just recently on her podcast. Well, it actually came out today when we're recording this. Um, but the, and Amanda, remind me the name of your podcast. Carbs and coffee. Carbs and coffee. I don't know if it was coffee and carbs or carbs and coffee. So yeah. I'm calling to clarify. <laughs> nice. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to to be here. You know, our conversation um, that came out today was awesome. So I'm excited to talk further. Awesome. Well, do you mind go ahead and giving those a listening introduction of who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Amanda. I own Ambitious Coaching. We help busy women basically learn to take up space in the gym and lose weight without ruining their relationship with food. I come from a background of disordered eating, uh, a few eating disorders myself. And so I, I bring that experience to the table as well as my experience in the chiropractic rehab field. And so I get to help women get really, really, really strong and really, really confident in the gym and really improve their relationship with food. Cause I find that a lot of us have a pretty skewed perception of, uh, a healthy or a balanced diet, uh, and lifestyle. Yes, absolutely. You can say that again. Um, it's, 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 it's really unfortunate. I mean, like, and it's even, um, you know, we just, what was it last week? It was, um, eating disorder awareness week and it was just, you know, really inspiring. And I, I don't want to say unfortunate or sad because I know people aren't posting these things for empathy, but it's mostly just like a lot of people, it is just creating an awareness. I feel like a lot of people don't realize, but so many others, especially even like us coaches, I feel like a lot of coaches get into the space because they've, they've been in the trenches. They know what it's like to have to go through these things. And once you find that light at the end of the tunnel, it's like, Oh, I have to show this to the entire world now. And so I, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up. And you, you also, you know, brought up the wanting to get women inside the gym and have them working out. And that's something I love doing as well. Cause I think that's a very underrated, um, proponent for, you know, just improving our overall health. Now, you know, as we both know, nutrition is the driver for fat loss and for for many cases. Um, but I do think it has a lot of value to get somebody in the gym and start working out. So for, do you, do you work with many women that like, you know, have never really gone to the gym or just don't like working out or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. We get women all the time that maybe don't have any experience with the gym or the experience they've had has not been positive. And so we kind of work with women all across the board, those with experience, those without. And I think it's really cool to see just the progression of some of those clients that maybe had a maybe skewed or um, 
maybe even disordered relationship with the gym um, evolved to really enjoying getting strong and pushing themselves in the gym without, you know, excessively exercising. Um, so yeah, we, we work with people all across the board with all different kinds of experience in the gym. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you brought up a good point there too. It's, it's, it's all about finding the happy medium, right? I mean, and that goes for anything, nutrition and exercise. Like you can have too little calories or too many calories. You can have too little exercise or too much exercise. And so it's really important to find that equal balance in between there. And for, so let's like talk a little bit more about like the, the exercise component component there for someone who doesn't necessarily want to work out and, or maybe, maybe they've thought about it, but they're just like, maybe like you said, some bad experiences in the past and they just don't think it's right for them. They don't feel comfortable going to the gym. And, you know, maybe they thought about working out at home or, you know, they're just not really sure yet. How do you start to like slowly introduce someone to getting back into the gym and having a better experience with it? Yeah. So with anything, start really slow. So first I figure out what kind of activity they enjoy. Like what, what gets your heart rate up that you enjoy doing? You know, is it hiking? Is it just going on a walk, taking your dog on a walk? Is it, um, cycling, you know, is there maybe some community groups you can plug into and play, I don't know, soccer on the weekends, you know, things like that. Um, that's the first thing I'm going to look at, you know, what, what do you enjoy? Because if you enjoy it, you're going to stick with it. And that's really what I care about. I'm not going to shove the gym down their throat. You know, if they're really uncomfortable with the idea of going to the gym, I encourage everybody to do it because there are benefits that go beyond just body composition, (laughs) but I understand, you know, not everybody's there when they come to us, just like not everybody's ready to track macros when they come to us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so we meet them where they're at. And then I usually will start them with some simple exercises to do at home. It can be as simple as, you know, when you get up to go make lunch, you know, if you work from home, like do 10 squats and 10 pushups on your desk, like something just as simple as that, you know, get really confident with those exercises and start to build their own like personal exercise library and experience. And then slowly over time, if they feel comfortable, we'll transition to the gym and Basically, I keep my programming very simple and I try not to to overcomplicate it for clients. So in that case, you know, letting them go to the gym and just continue maybe the exercises they've been doing at home and slowly making tweaks over time so that we can continue to to make progress and slowly introduce new things so it's not overwhelming and you're not spending your entire time at the gym like trying to figure out what you need, where you need to go, you know, all of those things. So it can be as slow or really fast as a process as clients are comfortable with. You know, some come to us and they're like, I'm ready to train three or four days a week at the gym. I've got my gym membership. I'm ready to go. Others are like, nope, I've got some dumbbells at home. I'll train like 30 minutes twice a week. And others we don't have like programmed workouts for. It's literally as simple as, okay, you work at home. When you get up for your lunch, do 10 squats, do 10 push-ups, do 10 rows because you have some dumbbells or, or something like that. And then after lunch, before you start working again, do it again. And then at the end of the day, you know, maybe something like that. And we just slowly increase it over time, depending on their starting point. Yeah. And I think that's important to take into point is it's not everybody is ready for the gym and not everybody wants to go to the gym. And I feel like that's another thing that I, I know I have a conversation with a lot of clients when they first start working with me is like, what do you want out of this? Like, you know, it, because 
sure, I can want you to go to the gym and I can want you to work out. But if you don't want to do that, that's not something you're going to do long term. You know, if I say, you know, go to the gym four days a week and I can, sure, I can push you to go four days a week. But as soon as you're done working with me, chances are you're like, oh, thank goodness, he's not making me go to the gym anymore. And you're just going to stop. And so it's really about finding what's going to work best for you. And, and I think nowadays, even, you know, yes, there's walking and, you know, besides like physical limitations themselves, but most people have the ability to walk. Right. And so that can be the lowest barrier minimum that most people can do is just go out for a walk, um, walk in their house, walk on a treadmill, whatever you want to do. And there are also thankfully nowadays, a lot of other ways to get active and like, you know, like you briefly mentioned like the group fitness and things like that. And I think that's another really important thing to bring up is finding something that's enjoyable. And I I've talked about this in the past. I want to get your opinion on this, but like that optimal versus practical, right? Like sure. There's the optimal workouts that we can give you three to four days in the gym, you know, hypertrophy training, progressive overload, all the, you know, really focus on those things or there's just what practical. And maybe that is Zumba class. Maybe that is orange theory fitness. Maybe that is F45. Like, they all have their time in the place. What, what, what do you think about those? No, absolutely. I think I just made a post the other day on this, you know, not stressing about optimal, but doing something that you enjoy first. I think there is a time and a place and, you know, we could easily go down a rabbit trail of a mindset when it comes to this, because the reality is, is if you don't value the outcome of something, like you're not going to stick to it, even if maybe you don't absolutely love doing it. Like maybe you don't enjoy going to the gym twice a week, but you really value the outcome of it. That's something you'll probably stick to doing, you know, kind of like brushing your teeth. Like, I don't know about you, but it feels like a waste of time sometimes. Like, oh, this is one more thing I got to do before I leave my house in the morning, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I value the outcome from it. And so it's usually a conversation that we have to have with clients. Like, what are you wanting to achieve in terms of your body composition, in terms of your goals? What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? And what do you think you can reasonably stick to? You know, in five years, do you still see yourself training three days a week at the gym most of the time? And so I I agree. Find something you enjoy First. Like that is the the most important thing is that you have some kind of activity that you enjoy that goes beyond just like what's best for your body composition. It's just what is uh, just getting active is what's going to be better for your health. So just find something that you like that you can do consistently. Walking is a really easy one because you can easily throw in some headphones, listen to some music, listen to a podcast, you know, anything <laughs> like that and get in some extra steps. And that has countless health benefits. And that would be an incredible place to start for, for most people. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I want to kind of touch on, you know, is, and kind of like on the same topic is again, like realizing that, you know, whatever you're doing, make sure you have, you're doing the right thing for the right goals that you have. And so like, as we both know, like, yes, like these like hit classes and things like that, the group fitness and things of that nature, Yes, they can be fun and enjoyable, but they may not be, you know, fantastic for body composition or, you know, building muscle and things like that. So if somebody starts to transition into more strength training and hypertrophy training and getting to the gym and such, let's talk about the other component as well. And that is the nutrition side of that. And I feel like that's also a piece that, you know, yes, we think about, you know, if somebody has weight loss goals, we of course look at nutrition. If somebody looks at building muscle, they think about, just added in the gym, but they don't really look at much of like the the nutrition side of that of building muscle. So what does that look like? 
Yeah. So first, just without resistance training, increasing your protein intake can increase your lean body mass and decrease your fat mass. So just making that tweak to your diet can change your body composition without changing anything else. So now when you add in resistance training, depending on, you know, your frequency and training split and all of those things, your nutrition is going to look a little bit different. You might require more fuel, but if your goal is to, to build muscle or basically recomp your, your body composition, you know, build muscle, lose body fat, Mm -hmm. you're going to want to make sure you're, you're sticking to a high protein diet. And then I typically recommend like a higher carb diet for most of my clients being women. They typically feel their best with a higher or moderate high carb diet and they feel their best in the gym and most (laughs) fueled when when they have carbs in their diet and so that's what i found to be most realistic and sustainable for a lot of my clients and enjoyable and you have to make sure that you are fueling those workouts And I say that because we see a lot of women that are, you know, training three or four days a week, and they're not really reaping all of benefits that they could be because they're still under eating. So we deal with a lot of under eating. Um, And so because of, you know, maybe their macro ratios or just like not getting in enough calories, they're really not able to, to reap all of those benefits from resistance training. So it does definitely increase your, your total daily energy expenditure, right? The amount of calories that you need on a daily basis. So you got to eat more, especially if you want to change your body composition. Yeah. And if somebody is, let's say somebody's currently in a deficit or a fat loss phase and they're wanting to see some body composition, is that possible for them? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, really just making sure that your protein intake is high enough and you are in a moderate, like mild to moderate deficit. If you're in a super steep deficit, you're going to have a really hard time building or even maintaining muscle mass while dieting. Some muscle mass loss is typically inevitable depending on how much weight you have to lose. Um, but it is possible to, to change your body composition while in a deficit and even potentially build some muscle mass, depending on where you're you're coming from. So we've all heard of like newbie gains, right? So when you're yep. you're first starting your training journey, you have a higher potential to put on muscle mass, even in a deficit that will plateau at some point, and you'll likely have to to periodize your nutrition and training and and all of that good stuff. But there is definitely potential to change your body composition in a deficit. And one of the best things, well, the two things you can do to do that is eat enough protein and resistance training. Yes, absolutely. And, and you mentioned the periodization, um, periodization of nutrition, and I, I'd love to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that. If, if so, let's say somebody is, you know, they're in a deficit, they're getting enough protein in, they are, you know, resistance training, you know, pretty, t- pretty high intensity, at what point should they then start? Like, let's say they're not putting on, a, they're not getting, you know, that tone look they want. They feel like they want to put on some more muscle. How does that process look to start increasing their calories or, you know, how, how much should they go up? Should they go to maintenance, to surplus? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So it really depends on the individual. Usually I'll put them in like a 250 calorie surplus to start with. Um, especially women, I'm, I notice tend to be a little bit more sensitive to changes in calories just from my experience. 
And so I usually do 250 calories primarily from carbs and a little bit of fat, uh, carbs, uh, to, to primarily fuel their, their workouts and protein really doesn't change much. So then we start to see, um, the, the changes, or if we're seeing changes, then we don't really make like further adjustments until they're no longer really reaping those benefits. Like we're not seeing body composition changes. We're not seeing the scale move at all because, or measurements change, right? At that point, we're going to see measurements maybe increase a little bit. We're going to see the scale increase a little bit. I don't want to see like huge jumps in the scale, it's definitely a slow process because building muscle is really slow. So we start with 250 calories. I don't usually make any tweaks for like three or four weeks, depending on how they are responding. And then usually it's going to be by like 200 to 300 calorie jumps beyond that, depending on the individual and how they're responding to training. And so talk a little bit about the surplus. Have, have you taken, or I guess first I was going to ask, have you taken some clients through a surplus before? Yes, absolutely. And, and so I, I can imagine the mindset of that, seeing the scale go up and the, maybe their clothes are going a little bit snugger. Like talk a little about that. How do, how do you work them through that to realize, you know, this is all going to benefit them in the long run? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a long conversation we usually have before even considering a bulk. And like when we say bulk, like that just sounds very intimidating in and of itself to a <laughs> female, right? We're all like, no, we're going to get bulky. Um, that's not the case at all. But we talk them through like expectations. And usually I'll say, here's the thing. Like, you know, based off of experience, like you've lost weight, you've lost body fat, but you didn't have enough muscle mass to really reveal the body composition that you wanted. And I'm not sure who said this, but you can't sculpt a pebble right? And so by losing body fat, you're only going to reveal what's there. And so when we don't have adequate muscle mass, we're not really going to get that toned look. And so it's going to require that we put on muscle mass, which means we put on weight and which also means we might put on a little bit of body fat. But remember, we know how to get that off. We've been through this cycle before, right? Most of the time we've, we've gone through a fat loss cycle before we've gone through a true like bulk. And so I say, you know, that that is possible that in and of itself is going to encourage, you know, a growth mindset, you know, you're capable of changing, you're capable of controlling your body composition. I tell them we can stop at any point. You're really going to benefit from doing this from anywhere for like three to six months. Your clothes will get a little bit tighter. You will see, see the scale go up and your measurements will go up. We're going to monitor that the whole time, make sure that nothing is happening excessively. You're not putting on an excessive amount of body fat. And really we want this to be an enjoyable process, right? Like, like you get more calories, like let's make this fun and make the most of our training. And so that's usually the conversation I have is like, look, you, these things are going to change. You're probably not going to feel super great. And so you know, we usually try and time it around like winter or, you know, non, non summer time when we're wearing less <laughs> clothing. <laughs> and, uh, I, I totally forewarn them. These things are going to happen, but one losing body fat is going to be easier when you get to the other side of this mm -hmm. and you're going to reveal more muscle mass, which is going to give you more of that toned look that you want. And so that's usually the, the process that we go through in the conversation that we have. Is there a certain, and there, and there might not be a right or wrong answer for this, but I'm just curious to hear your perspective. If someone is 
let's say somebody's losing weight and should they get to their like goal weight, quote unquote, before they start going into a surplus or is there like a good time to do that? Is there, is it better to just go ahead and do the surplus first and then go in the deficit? Do you have any like normal, like order of operations that you like to usually do with that? No, it's very individual. So if you have like a lot of weight to lose, we'll usually go through a fat loss phase first, but if we kind of hit that point where, you know, your, your metabolic rate has, has decreased because you've, you've lost weight, it's starting to get a little bit harder to, to lose weight without severely lowering your calories or increasing your exercise. Then we might kind of reverse diet, get you at maintenance and then consider a bulk depending on the individual, depending on their goals. Um, if you're somebody that has like 10 to 20 pounds to lose, then, you know, I might recommend focusing on body recomposition, maybe going into a mild surplus to really build some muscle and then lose the body fat because dieting will be easier because you've increased your metabolic rate, right? You require more calories to survive um, and maintain your body composition. So I don't have a specific order of operations. It's really dependent on the client's goals, their current body composition, and you know what their like goal body composition is. Yeah, absolutely. And how long should is there any specific length of time that somebody should be in a surplus? I know this is kind of like another it depends question, but is there any like specific like you know, I feel like a lot of people like they want to like kind of go through it pretty quickly because they don't want to keep gaining weight. Obviously, is there a timeline that you should, would normally expect to tell somebody like, hey, like we really to get the most benefits out of this, we should go X amount of months or something like that. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I think minimum three months and I think ideal is three to six months, depending on the individual and depending on their overall health. So if this is something that's like, we want to improve your metabolic rate, make it easier to diet on the backside of this, maybe around three or four months. And I usually will cap it at six, depending on the individual, just to prevent any like excess, you know, body fat causing any other like changes in blood markers and stuff like that. So, um, from being in a surplus too long. So, Usually three to six months is like that sweet spot. Three is like minimum because you, in order to gain muscle mass, especially if you are past the the phase of newbie gains, um, you are going to need time because muscle mass takes a long time to put on. I think six months is like a reasonable amount to put on like five pounds of muscle for a female. It's especially if you're trained, like you have a longer training history. And so you really have to give yourself adequate time. And the slower you go, the less body fat you are likely to put on. So there's, there's a few considerations there, but that's kind of my, my sweet spot. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I, and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that muscle gain is a like you said, besides the outliers of the newbie gains, but like just in general, like putting on muscle is a long process and it's going to take some time. And, and 
like you said, the, the actually the longer you take with it, the more beneficial it's probably going to be. Cause like you mentioned, you know, less body fat. Um, but I think that's also a big concern that a lot of like, especially, you know, women, um, have a concern of even starting like, you know, really training hard and eating more. Like they are worried about, you mentioned the word earlier, getting bulky. And I, I think it's, you know, definitely something that a lot of people fear, but I wish people would realize how hard it actually is to get quote unquote bulky. Like when you yeah. see these people like stepping on stage with all this muscle, like that is years of a lot of hard work eating, like perfect to the plan, working out very intensely five, six days a week, you know, some of them probably even more, who knows. Um, and so it's a lot of work that goes into that. And so I think that's something that a lot of people are concerned about. And also along the same lines that, you know, we've talked a little bit about nutrition. I want to touch on this as well, because it's something I haven't, I think, you know, we maybe mentioned this a long time ago and, and you know, some of the first podcast episodes, but I think it's something else to could bring up since we're talking about training now. Let's talk a little about like the nutrition side of training. And we talked a little bit about like the calorie wise, but when we look at like pre and post-workout nutrition, can you explain a little bit about that? Like what the importance of that is and what that should look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually get a lot of questions about this. So I typically recommend like 20 to 40 grams of protein and like 30 to 60 carbs post-workout with minimal Typically, I'm going to recommend a carb protein source, like quick digesting. Uh, if you don't have a lot of time, just a quick carb source can be beneficial. But what ultimately matters is the other 23 hours of the day previous and the 23 hours of the day after training. So your body's primarily pulling from energy from what you did yesterday. And I don't know about you, but I know if I have a day where like I waited till noon to actually eat for the first time and I didn't eat enough, like my next training session, I already know going into it, I am not going to be able to push myself as hard as I normally can. So what ultimately matters is your, your total daily calorie intake, your total daily like protein and carb and fat intake. But considerations like around training after you work out, you really want to restore your body to homeostasis as quickly as possible. Cause you just put it through this like stressful state, you know, you spiked your cortisol and like create cause some, you know, acute inflammation in your body. You really want to just bring your body back to that neutral, like rest and digest state as quickly as you can. So I typically recommend, you know, eating within an hour of training. It is not a necessity but you will likely feel better if you do that. Cause I don't know about you, but if I go more than an hour, maybe an hour and a half after training, I'm like shaky and I'm like, hi, I need to eat something. <laughs> and I could eat like everything in my fridge if I don't <laughs> eat something. So those are my typical like recommendations hierarchy wise, like total daily and weekly calorie amount first. Then we can talk about, you know, training considerations before and after but if you're training first thing in the morning, like I usually work out at like 5 a.m., I don't eat anything beforehand. It's not because I don't want to. I'm just normally getting up like 20 minutes before I leave for the gym and I go and I train. And the only thing in my system is usually pre-workout and water. And then I eat as soon as I can afterwards. So um, it really depends on, on your schedule. But if you are training during the day, you know, getting in like a full meal within a couple hours and then an hour before, maybe like a protein shake and a quick carb source to to fuel you and keep you sustained through your workout. 
Awesome. And there's two things that kind of came to mind as you were talking through all those things that I feel like they were kind of like some like buzzword things that get tossed around. So I just want to kind of clear some of those things up. You you mentioned like, you know, going to work out like on an empty stomach and things like that. And I think some people have like those like fasted cardio or fasted workouts. Are there any benefits to any of that? No. No. You so like fasted cardio wise, you will primarily burn more fat for fuel. But it doesn't really what matters is like how your your nutrition plays into that. Right. And so it doesn't really matter if you're you're burning carbs or you're burning fat for fuel when you're working out, um, because what matters is, are you in a calorie deficit? Are you eating a maintenance? Are you in a calorie surplus? Those things are what matter, not the not necessarily the fuel source that you're using to train. So fasted cardio really doesn't have any benefits beyond maybe you just feel better when you don't eat before you go do cardio or train, um, depending on when you train. Yeah. And then another, another one that kind of just kind of came to mind that I've, I've heard people talk about as well is like this protein window. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, they need to, as soon as I'm working out, I got to chug that protein shake to make sure I get all that protein in. Can you talk about a little, like what, what I mean by that? And like, if that actually is anything that you should be concerned about. So no, it's not because any benefit to that, like anabolic window, I think it's like 60 to 90 minutes after training, any benefit is super minimal. If you're getting enough protein throughout the day, it doesn't matter. You will probably feel your best actually getting in some protein within an hour of training, but will it influence or impact your ability to gain muscle? No. Awesome. And then also just like, as far as like some more like, you know, workout pieces and such like that. What are some like, I'd love to just to kind of give some like some actionable take- takeaways for them to, who are listening. If they're wanting to really maximize their workouts and get the best that they can out of them, what are some other things that they should be really be focusing on? Whether it's like, you know, how they're working out or, you know, what they're doing, anything like that, that really come, that comes to mind that you really emphasize in, with your clients? Yeah. So I think I tell my clients like minimal like to reap the benefits of resistance training is, is going to be 30 minutes twice per week, but you need to figure out like on your best week, how often can you make it to the gym or work out at home or, you know, whatever your situation is and on your worst week, what is the minimum? And then kind of figure out that happy medium that you can consistently do. So maybe that's 45 minutes, three times a week, what really matters is that you've you've kind of got a balanced split. So I have a strength training guide for beginners. I'm more than happy to share with you. Um, but basically, you're hitting the the core movement patterns on each of those days or evenly throughout the week. So usually a three day split, I'm going to recommend clients do full body workouts. So you're doing some kind of upper body and lower body exercises together uh, throughout that workout and then throwing in some core work as well. So really prioritize the compound movements. So compound movements that really require more of your body to perform the exercise. So something like a squat or a deadlift, they're not just, you know, lower body exercises. They require a lot of your body and your nervous system. So starting with those in your workout, getting the most out of those, and then including some accessory work, it's going to be the most time efficient. If you have specific specific body composition goals, like for women, if you want to grow your glutes, then there's some definite accessory work that I would recommend beyond compound movements. Um, 
they're not compound movements. I don't think are the best for growing specific muscle groups, but they are the most efficient, like energy wise. And you're able to hit more than one thing with those exercises. So if the goal is just to get in some balanced resistance training, reap the most like muscle benefits you can prioritize those compound movements first, and then you can start worrying about adding in some accessory movements. And you actually just, again, talking through that, another thing, a little thing that came to mind that I and actually had this conversation with someone else in my group uh, a couple of days ago. What about like spot reduction? I feel like that's another big thing that a lot comes up with a lot of people is, you know, they say, I want to get abs. So I'm going to do my all my core work or I'm going to, you know, I want to get rid of my butterfly right wings. And so I'm going to work my arms all the time. I want to get rid of my stomach. So I'm going to do ab workout. Like, can we talk about that a little bit? Like, is there anything to that? And like, what should they be focused on instead of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to say abs are made in the gym and revealed in the kitchen and (laughs) you cannot spot reduce body fat. Unfortunately, if like I, any of us had the secret to that, like we would be millionaires because (laughs) you, you can't unfortunately. And usually when that is the case, that's usually when women will experience like that feeling of being bulky because they have put on muscle without losing any body fat. And so they don't necessarily, you know, lose the body fat that they're wanting to either in their stomach or their arms or whatever, but they've put on muscle because they've been training those areas. And so that's kind of another hole that we could go into. Um, but exercise itself does not uh, will not help you spot reduce body fat at all. Unfortunately, genetics plays the biggest role in that. Um, I've worked with a variety of women and some men that lose body fat in completely different places. First hormones can influence that a little bit. Um, but genetics are primarily going to determine where you lose body fat from first. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to like putting together like some type of like program for themselves, you know, you know, ideally, and and I'm not just saying this because I'm a coach and I'm sure you would agree, even though you're a coach as well. And outside of that, obviously I think working with a trainer or a coach is one of the best ways to figure out what you need to do inside the gym, of course. And like I said, we're not saying that because we're coaches. It's just, you know, we have coaches as well. I don't do my own programming. I have, I have my coach do it. And so let's say though, they're not currently working with a coach and they do want to figure out how to put together a workout program. Can you kind of take us through the steps a little bit of like what they should be focusing on? Like, I know we've talked a little bit kind of like sporadically throughout the episode, kind of sprinkled those things in, but when we're actually putting together a workout, let's say like, you know, a a full body workout and we'll just list like one or two days worth of like, you don't have to give exact examples, but like what, how, like how much of each, you know, how many arms, how many leg movements, all these things, what should we be looking at? Yeah. So I actually covered this recently on a podcast. I gave like a two day example of a very simple split that somebody could follow, but basically you're including the basic movement patterns. So you've got squat, hinge, push, pull, carry slash core. Um, So you've got squats, like front squats, back squats, hack squats. You could even put like a leg press in there. And then you've got like Bulgarians or, um, you know, Anything along those lines would really fall into that squat category. Hinge is going to be things like deadlifts, RDLs, single leg deadlifts, hip thrusts. um, And then you've got like good mornings and then you've got push and pull. So you've got horizontal and you've got vertical. So that basically means are you pulling or pushing overhead? 
So you've got like a pull up or an overhead press. And then you have like a vertical push or pull, which would be like a, a row or a bench press. And then core, there's three main categories within core work. And we can dive into that if you want to. Sure. But basically, um, you've got anti-extension, anti-lateral flexion, and anti-rotation because your core is a, a anti-mover. It's meant to, to resist movement, right? It's meant to resist flexion, extension, and rotation of the spine. And so you do that, um, you train that through things like farmer carries and suitcase carries, side planks, front planks, dead bugs, bird dogs. I know these all have like weird names. Um, they do. But those are kind of the basics of like how to train your core. And then you do get some like core uh, work out of those compound movements as well. Um, and so basically how I would structure like a really simple program for somebody that maybe can't afford to work with a coach or can't afford, you know, some kind of programming subscription um, to keep it really simple for like a, a two day full body program, I would start with your compound movement. So I would start with either a squat or a deadlift because those are like your two, um, those two movements are going to be the most taxing on your body and on your nervous system. So let's say day one is squat and day two is deadlift. Then I would pair that with some kind of a upper body exercise. I usually would pair like a deadlift with a pushing exercise because deadlifts really tax like your forearms. So you don't really want to be doing something like pull-ups right afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could do some kind of like incline bench press or a, a bench press or overhead press with that. Um, and then, you know, rest like 30 to 60 seconds or 60 to 90 seconds. And then your next set, I would do like a single leg exercise. Um, if I'm doing squat and I'm doing bench press, let's say for my first set, my second set, I'm going to pair three exercises and that's going to be it. So I'm going to pair three exercises. I'm going to do a single leg deadlift, right? Because I already did some kind of a squat. So I'm going to do a single leg deadlift and then I'm going to do a maybe a, a bent over row. Um, and so now we've got um, your squat. You've got a um, some kind of push or pull. And then you've got a single leg deadlift, some kind of push or pull. And then I would finish that with a core exercise. So let's just say a plank to keep it really simple. We all know what planks are, right? Yep. Rest 60 to 90 seconds. And I would do three sets of eight of everything. So now your, your day two is going to be the opposite of that. So we did a squat. Now we're going to do a deadlift. And then we're going to do some kind of a upper body push or pull. That's your first set. So two exercises paired together, rest 60 to 90 seconds. You're going to do three rounds of that. Your second set, you're going to do three exercises again, but now you're going to do a some kind of single leg squat exercise or knee dominant exercise. Pair with an upper body push pull, whichever one you haven't hit at this point. <laughs> and then a core exercise. Let's just say a side plank because we all know that one too. Yep. So you're going to pair those three together and you're going to do three sets eight of everything. Now, You've got your two full body days done, right? Obviously do some kind of warm up, do some kind of cool down, keep it super simple. Uh, you're going to do that twice a week, three sets of eight. You're going to do that for four to six weeks. Just repeat that four to six weeks. Then after four to six weeks, 
you can make some tweaks to like your core exercises and keep your main exercises the same or make some tweaks if you want to. And you're just going to change it to four sets of five. And you can repeat that, like, like cycle that from the, the three sets of eight for four to six weeks to four sets of five for four to six weeks. And then do the three sets of eight again and just cycle through that and maybe increase or change your rest times. Um, but that would keep it super, super simple for somebody that maybe doesn't have a lot of programming experience and just wants something that they can follow consistently um, without a ton of variability and still gives you some freedom to to change up some things. So hopefully I explained that <laughs> in a simple enough way to understand, but that is how I would lay out just a super simple uh, program without knowing anything about the individual. Yeah. Awesome. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing all that. I think, you know, it's just a good point for, I think a lot of people that are brand new to all this again, guys, like number one recommendation is get some professional help that just takes all the guesswork out of it for you. But that is definitely a great place to get started. If you are kind of putting together a plan, I want to talk a little bit about like intensity here as well. I feel like that's something that a lot of people, I, I feel like, again, you know, earlier in the conversation, we talked a little bit about some people will go like too little or too much. And so I think same thing with intensity. Some people are not pushing themselves hard enough and some people are, you know, push themselves and they don't consider it a good workout until they are sore and, you know, throwing up in the bathroom basically because they worked out way too hard. So like what, what intensity should they be focused on? Should they be pushing really hard certain times? When, how often, what, what do you think about intensity? Yeah. So there are a couple ways to structure that RPE. So rate of perceived exertion is usually my go-to for most clients because it is the easiest to understand and usually the easiest to gauge that and reps and reserves. So they're kind of the, the opposite of each other. Mm -hmm. So RPE is a scale of one to 10, right? One means like you could do it for hours and hours and hours. 10 means you were maxed out. Like you could not do any more. And then like, let's, Let's say you're training at an eight RPE. So on a scale of one to 10, it was an eight. That means that when you get done, your reps in reserve would be two, right? So reps in reserve is how many more reps you could do when you get done with the exercise. Most people should be training at like a seven to eight RPE. Um, so having like two to maybe three reps left in the tank when they get done, there is a time and place for like pushing that um, further if for the specific example, like I gave, you know, that first phase, you're really building, uh, you're accumulating volume, like training volume in, in that three sets of eight, when you jump to like four sets of five, you could increase your RPE like throughout that phase. You know, when you get to like week four, maybe you're like pushing to, to your max. Um, but to keep it really simple, most people, 90% of the time should be just training at that seven, eight RPE where they've got like two or three reps left in the tank after every exercise. You should not be extremely sore after you work out. You know, that first week of a phase, you're probably going to experience more soreness because you're maybe changing exercises, changing volume, changing load. All of those things are, are new stimulus to your body. But ultimately, I don't really want to see clients like on a scale of one to 10 over a five for soreness. Um, and even on that first week, they shouldn't feel like they can't like sit down on the toilet after leg day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I think that's important to bring up. And I, 
one thing I would add, you know, I just like is probably more people could probably be pushing themselves a little bit harder than they giving themselves credit to. Um, you know, and this, and I'm not saying, you know, and this is, you know, of course, everyone's at their own different levels. Some people it's just purely body weight. It's fine. Some people it is using the five pound dumbbells, but at some point you should be trying to progress past that, right? Like we should, like, if you've been using the same weight dumbbell for three months in a row now and doing the same amount of reps, we probably need to start working that up a little bit more, you know, grab the next heavier weight or do an extra rep, do an extra set, whatever it may be, start creating some more intensity with that. And, um, and, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with like, you know, if the movement is a safe thing to fail, I think it's good to sometimes push yourself until failure, um, to really see what you're capable of. Cause I'll have some people, you know, they'll, they'll be doing bicep curls with like, let's say like the 15, uh, 15 pound dumbbell and they'll do eight and they'll, they'll say they're done. And I'm like, well, how many could you do? And then like, I actually will tell them like, go see how many you can do and do it until literally you have to drop the dumbbell. And they'll be like, oh, I got like the 20. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, exactly. well then we're really far away from failure. And um, actually it's funny. One of my, um, um, one of the stories I love to hear is my roommate talks about when he does in-person training, he sometimes will have them keep going. Like he'll, they'll say, you know, how many um, reps are on? He'll be like, you know, eight. And then he'll get, they'll get the eight and be like one more. And then they'll do it. And one more, one more one more, one more, and really start actually test them without them even really knowing that he's getting ready to test them. And it's amazing how much further people can actually push themselves when they try to push themselves to absolute failure. And so just something I want to throw out there as far as you know, those listening is like, push yourself a little bit harder. Like you would be amazed as to what you can actually do. If you've never failed anything in the gym, chances are, and I'm not saying you necessarily aren't pushing yourself hard enough, but chances are you could be not pushing yourself hard enough. And again, do it something was safe. You know, I wouldn't recommend trying to, you know, max out on a bench press or, you know, with a barbell or something like that, that you have to worry about, you know, the weights falling on top of you or something that you get injured, but something like a bicep curl or tricep, something like that, like do something that you, you can max out on and not hurt you if you drop the dumbbell, right. Or even like a deadlift, like worst you could happen is you drop it. Now, of course, you know, form and all those other things, a whole different story, but you can actually really push yourself to really see what you're capable of. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Definitely pick exercises that you feel confident doing form wise, mm -hmm. but don't be afraid to max them out, you know, especially if it's an exercise like on a machine or it's, you know, like you said, like bicep curls or rows or something like that, where you can really feel what that like maximal fatigue feels like, because even I sometimes will make myself just do as many reps as possible because I'm like, I think I can do more. It just feels like I'm fatiguing mm -hmm. and I have to test like where, where is my true like max here? And it's usually more than I think it is. And so it definitely doesn't hurt to do that, you know, especially like if you're following a four week training block, you know, maybe on that last week, you really just like push some of those exercises and see, you know, where, where that max is. And if you're supposed to do eight reps, but you're doing like 12 or, you know, 13, you probably need to increase the weight. Um, Cause that's something I see with my clients a lot is usually instead of increasing the weight, they're like, Oh, I'll just do more reps yeah. when their, their rep range is like eight to 10. And I'm like, you're doing like 12 or 14, maybe even more. I'm like, you definitely need to increase the weight. Um, and so don't be afraid of like failing exercises either, especially if it's something like a goblet squat or a deadlift or bicep curls, like worst case you drop the dumbbells. That's what the gym mats are for. <laughs> it's not a big deal yeah. at all. It happens all the time. Um, but if you if you have not experienced like failing an exercise, 
you probably don't know what like a seven or eight RPE like truly is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Again, it all comes back to that mindset. Like you said, like sometimes you feel like you're fatiguing yourself and there's times when, you know, I think we've all been in the gym and like you said, we, we feel like we're at maxing or getting close to our max and then you actually push it further and stop, you know, kind of shut off your brain and just make your muscles do the work. Like you can be very surprised what you can do. So I uh, love that you yeah, mentioned absolutely. that as well. Yeah, I think the intensity that you approach an exercise with is super important. You know, I was, I experienced this with myself on uh, Monday, yesterday, I was doing a single leg leg press and I just noticed like my brain was wandering. I was not really like focused on what I was doing and I got done and I was like, that felt really hard and like I couldn't do many more, but I was like, I wasn't really like focused. I wasn't really like bearing down. I don't I definitely think I can do more than that and sometimes it's like you need to just increase the weight to actually get more of your body to to engage and to really like make your yourself focus on the yeah. exercise I don't know if you experience that at all but sometimes I'm like oh this must be too easy because I am not really completely paying attention to mm-hmm. it <laughs> you know it's it's not getting my full effort and that's something I teach clients on all the time is that that full body like irradiation. So like creating tension throughout your whole body. If that leg press isn't requiring you to like flex your arms, it's not hard <laughs> enough. Exactly. If you don't got those neck veins popping out, you know, it's it's too light. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, awesome. Well, Amanda, this has been a, r- a really great conversation and, we, and we've covered a ton on fitness and exercise. And I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this episode. I, I always wrap up every single guest podcast episode by asking my um, guests, if somebody is looking to start their journey today, what are your two biggest pieces of advice you'd give them for getting started? And, and for this episode in particular, since we've been talking so much about exercise, I'd like to kind of lean towards that avenue a little bit. Like somebody who wants to start their fitness journey today, how do they, what are the first two things you're focused on them getting started? Yeah. So in terms of workouts, I think finding too. So maybe if that is working with a coach, work with a coach, otherwise find some kind of like quality exercise subscription. There are affordable ones out there that you can just follow the program that have instructions that walk you through it. They are, they are out there. Um, find one that you enjoy, that you feel like you align with and will get the most out of. Um, and, and take it, you know, set realistic expectations with yourself. And I know it's hard to, to figure out like what is, is realistic. Um, but ask yourself, you know, on my worst week, how often could I make it to the gym? And on my mm-hmm. best week, how often could I make it to the gym and figure out kind of what that happy medium is and, evaluate if that's something you see yourself doing in five years and if that aligns with the person that you you want to be so start small don't overcommit yourself um and really try and figure out if if it's reasonable and realistic for you awesome love those awesome thanks thanks again amanda for coming on the show this has been great where can everyone find you drop all your information and also put it down in the show notes as well yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram. It's at ambitious coaching. And then we have our free Facebook community, which is the ambitious women's fitness secrets, uh, Facebook group. And I can send you that link as well. Awesome guys. All those will be done in the show notes. Definitely go check those out and I will talk to you guys later. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Shades and health podcast. I greatly appreciate you so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, you can help me by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps me become more visible to others. Also, share this episode with friends or family and take a screenshot of the episode and upload it to your stories. Be sure to tag me and my guests so we can be sure to say thank you. If you ever have any questions or feedback about something covered on the show, you're always welcome to send me a message. You can find me on Instagram at changing underscore chase. Have a great day, guys. And remember, you matter.